1: anonymous counts coup with their op russia campaign alternative energy suppliers in europe sustain cyber attacks what lapsus internal chatter reveals costa rica won't pay conti's ransom rick howard hits the history books our guest is paul georgie from xm cyber with a look at multi-cloud hopping and lock shields wraps up From the Cyberwire Studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Fitner with your Cyberwire summary for Monday, April 25th, 2022. The anonymous hacktivist collective has tweeted its tally of recent successes claimed against Russian organizations. They're calling it Op Russia, and they say since declaring cyber war on Kremlin's criminal regime, the Anonymous Collective has now published approximately 5.8 terabytes of Russian data via DDoS secrets. Anonymous vows to release more data belonging to Russian entities and government, including a commercial bank. On Sunday, Security Affairs published the results of its sifting through the documents Anonymous had leaked over the last three days and found that files were taken from four commercial businesses, Enerpred, Accent Capital, Sawatsky, and Worldwide Invest. It seems beyond dispute that Russia represents a successful hacktivist action, but its achievements also seem to confirm, again, that hacktivism in this ongoing hybrid war has yet to rise above nuisance levels. The nuisance is real, but it remains exactly that, a nuisance. Anonymous has been operating in the Ukrainian interest. There has been evidence of hacktivism in the Russian interest as well, although in that case it's difficult to distinguish from opportunistic cybercrime that exploits sympathy for Ukrainian suffering, gangland privateering, and direct state action. CNN reports that humanitarian organizations working on Ukrainian relief have been the targets of phishing, or as CNN puts it, malicious links, and pornographic material on their cell phones. Most aid groups are relatively poorly protected non-governmental organizations and in many cases have difficulty even recognizing that they're under attack, still less able to respond to an attack quickly and effectively. CNN quotes Amazon Web Services as explaining that the attacks seem intended to spread confusion and cause disruption— which seems particularly odious when the activities being disrupted are the distribution of food, clothing, and medical supplies. The Wall Street Journal reports that three alternative energy companies in Europe have sustained cyber attacks since Russia's invasion of Ukraine began. Wind Europe, a wind power industry group based in Brussels, says it believes the attacks originate with Russia. Presumably, the goal is to make a shift from Russian oil and natural gas more difficult for European, especially German, markets. Two German turbine manufacturers, Enercon and Nordex, and one turbine maintenance firm, Windtechnik, have been affected. Krebs on Security reports that internal lapsus gang chatter indicated that the gang had made multiple incursions into T-Mobile's systems, For reasons that are unclear, Lapsus exhibited a strong interest in source code. They compromised employee accounts either by social engineering or buying them from Russophone initial access brokers. T-Mobile told Krebs on Security, Several weeks ago, our monitoring tools detected a bad actor using stolen credentials to access internal systems that house operational tools software. The systems accessed contained no customer or government information or other similarly sensitive information, and we have no evidence that the intruder was able to obtain anything of value. Our systems and processes worked as designed, the intrusion was rapidly shut down and closed off, and the compromised credentials used were rendered obsolete. Costa Rica continues to work toward recovery from a ransomware campaign that afflicted government sites during the country's presidential transition. ABC has summarized the attack and the government's response. The Conti gang has claimed responsibility for the campaign, which appears to be a double extortion operation, in which data are both encrypted and stolen. The Costa Rican government has refused to pay the ransom. The FBI warned last week that agricultural cooperatives should expect to become targets of ransomware operators during crucial seasonal inflection points, particularly around harvest and, right now, around planting times. And finally, NATO's exercise Locked Shields has concluded. The point of the exercise is training and self-criticism with a view to improvement. But there's a competitive gamer dimension here, as there is in most military exercises. So congratulations to Finland, whose team won the competitive phase of Locked Shields. We trust that recent global events in your neck of the woods have sharpened your skills. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. XM Cyber recently released research outlining security risks they've encountered on multiple customers' networks, including multi-cloud hopping and third-party risk to Azure environments. Paul Georgi is Director of Sales Engineering at XM Cyber, and I checked in with him for details on their findings.
0: So most organizations have a a variation of multiple cloud services. Uh, I think that if we look at what we see most commonly, there's a mixture of maybe a little bit of Microsoft 365, whether it's Azure Active Directory, or maybe a couple of like just exchange online, but there's services within that environment. And then maybe there's a little bit of the IaaS services within AWS, and maybe a little bit of GCP. So these large organizations have multiple clouds, um, and it's not easy to replicate security posture, or security defenses around each one of these the same way. So when we look at how maybe an Azure Active Directory account could be the start of the breach, and then within four or five stops end up reading data from an S3 bucket with an AWS, there's not a lot of correlation of risk from an Azure Active Directory account to an AWS S3 bucket. And what we're finding in our results is there is a lot of correlation. Uh, It usually doesn't take a lot of steps and a lot of organizations are dealing with this risk and not even aware of it. So because we're aware that most organizations are some sort of multi-cloud variant, but still assessing risk maybe just within their own individual clouds and not really considering the risk of how one entity could impact another entity, uh, that was a really interesting finding for us, making sure people were aware of these risks from multi-cloud because most large organizations are some sort of variation of multi-cloud and need to start assessing risk holistically across all the entities and not just within those individual cloud
1: environments. And how do you propose to go about doing that? Yeah,
0: so that's really where attack path management comes in. Attack path management assesses the telemetry, uh, whether it's vulnerabilities, misconfigurations, or user activity, and assessing that telemetry and then simulating what an attacker can do in that environment. And not just within laptops or servers or domain controllers, but how something like a Lambda function could play a role within AWS to then provide additional privilege escalation or additional assume role compromise capabilities within different environments. So uh, that that really is the heart of attack path management, looking at all of your entities, all the configuration, and then stringing together the realm of possibility from an attacker's perspective, identifying things like choke points. If I know an entity risk to all the other assets in my environment, I can identify it as a choke point and remediate and prioritize risks tied to that entity quicker than maybe an entity that there may be a lot of risk tied to it, but the risk it introduces to my critical assets is much smaller. So that, that's really the heart of attack path management is dealing with holistic entity assessment and then stringing together the possibilities from an attacker's perspective.
1: One of the other things you highlight in the report is, is risk to Azure environments, particularly coming from third parties. What did you find here?
0: Yeah, so we live in the world where third-party access is just, uh, it's something that we have to deal with, whether it is a partner portal access, maybe sometimes it's a contractor doing development work. We know that we live in this world where there's going to be some sort of third-party access, but we're seeing these risks start to manifest themselves within Colonial Pipeline, or is the contractor accessing VPN with Kasaya? So we know that there are definitely these, these things that are coming up as risks that are starting to play out in real attacks that we're seeing hit the news. But, Unfortunately, what we're doing to address them is just doubling down on our old legacy processes. Uh, more questionnaires. Uh, we're going to now start uh, b- putting them in their own AWS account instead of like their own grouping. Uh, and, and that's not really the right approach. What we need to start assessing is really the risk from those third parties and using this concept of assumed breach. And that is something that we do uh, at XM Cyber, is really every breach point is the starting point of an attack. And then assuming those third parties are an assumed breach entity. Maybe it is just a a disgruntled employee from that third party or some sort of insider threat, but we need to assess all of the ways that third party could potentially introduce risk to my critical assets. And and still we start looking at all the different ways that that could happen. I I think we're going to just start seeing this more and more commonly appear in the news through these manifestations of public breaches like uh, like we've seen uh, the last, uh, unfortunately, last year or so.
1: I mean, is that really sort of the through line through the things that this uh, research has uncovered? Is this that folks need to really take a a look at uh, how they're assessing risk?
0: Yeah, I I think that uh, that is the main point of this document. We call it the Attack Path Management Impact Report. Uh, We're going to start releasing this pretty regularly, but it is like our perspective that we're sharing with every organization and hopefully people start realizing that uh, the way that we're doing things, whether it's just legacy vulnerability management scanning, whether it's assessing risk within the cloud, uh, it's not working. And we need to holistically address our risk and assess all of the entities within our organization and then string together those realms of possibilities from an attacker's perspective. So while we hope this report is informational and makes people more aware of what's going on, uh, we also like to introduce people to attack path management because um, I I get the pleasure of doing a lot of POCs and demos. And uh, you wouldn't believe how many people have never heard of attack path management. And uh, from my perspective, I think that it's something that it seems so obvious and organizations have been doing uh, in in old ways, like pen tests and uh, stringing together what happened during a breach and learning from those exercises, but never proactively running through those exercises to determine how they could better defend um, or architect better defenses and respond more efficiently when they actually
1: arise. That's Paul Georgie from XM Cyber. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program with the largest network of trust centers... That's vanta.com slash cyber. And it's always my pleasure to welcome back to the show Rick Howard. He is the CyberWire's chief security officer, also our chief analyst. Rick, great to have you back. Hey, Dave. Uh, I am happy to report that... Uh, your coming on the daily podcast today means one thing, and that means <laughs> that your podcast, CSO Perspectives, which is over on the Cyberwire Pro side, is back. Yes, indeed. <laughs> Our long national nightmare is over. Uh, you're
2: starting with season nine this week. So give us a preview here. What have you got in store for us? Well, that's right, Dave, and it's great to be back. And along with my army of crack interns, okay, we've had a blast working on these episodes. I've had them all locked up in the past few weeks deep in the sub basements of the Cyberwire Secret Sanctum Sanctorum Studios located <laughs> underwater somewhere along the Patapsco River near Baltimore Harbor. And I've been mm. really pleased with their efforts this week.
1: Yes, I do enjoy our new underwater lair. Uh, it's <laughs> delightfully soundproof. But have you tried the new espresso machine? It's lovely, I fabulous. have, <laughs> and you're right.
2: <laughs> I think it's that
1: Patapsco River water that really oh, puts yeah. the yeah puts ice, a little ice, spin icing on, on the cake. It. Yeah, mm-hmm,
2: it really mm-hmm. does. Well, uh, we've we've cranked out some really interesting content for this season. We have a few Rick the Toolman episodes this season on software bill of materials single sign-on, two-factor authentication, software-defined perimeter, and intelligence sharing. We're going to do a case study on the Netflix resiliency system called Chaos Monkey. I love that name. Oh, yeah. Isn't that great? Uh, And we're going to do one cyber sand table exercise, this time on the Colonial Pipeline attacks of 2019. But for this first episode, we're going to break out the Wayback Machine and cover the history of InfoSec from the invention of the password back in the 1960s, all the way to the next extensions to the intrusion kill chain prevention strategy in 2020. Wow! You know, I, in preparation
1: for our conversation today, I was trying to remember if I, I trying to remember what my first password was ever, and I couldn't <laughs> remember. I, I, you know, it was back for me. It was probably around 1980 or so when I first started getting into computers and uh, you know 8 bit computers TRS 80s and that sort of thing and i and it was bbs systems right it was the oh, yeah. first time that i was required sure. to use a password for anything but for the life of me i don't remember what it was you know it was probably i you know i was what 11 so it was probably something crass and inappropriate but i'm sure <laughs> those are my
2: best passwords <laughs> do, do you remember do you have any recollection for yourself uh, I don't remember my first password, but I know I am stuck with my first ever uh, username, you know, because, you know, you think, oh, I'm just going to pick a username. And I picked, you know, a old com- uh, cartoon character from my past, Race Bannon from the old Johnny Quest show. But right. now I can't get rid of that thing because, you, know, you know, I've used it for Twitter and LinkedIn and all that stuff. And so everybody knows me as a cartoon character. So I got that going for me.
1: Well, my first uh, alias on a BBS system was Ziggy Stardust. So, Uh, really uh, not terribly original, but again, I was like 12, so I thought it was pretty cool at the time. Yeah, that's (laughs) what I thought too. All right, well, CSO Perspectives is part of Cyberwire Pro, so do check that out. That is on our website, thecyberwire.com. Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. That's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at TheCyberWire.com. Don't forget to check out the Grumpy Old Geeks podcast, where I contribute to a regular segment called Security. Ha! I join Jason and Brian on their show for a lively discussion of the latest security news every week. You can find Grumpy Old Geeks, where all the fine podcasts are listed. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Liz Urban, Elliot Peltzman, Trey Hester, Brandon Karpf, Eliana White, Peru Prakash, Justin Sebi, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.